Hello and welcome to Learn With Us. Today on the show, Dylan Sheeman. How's it going today, sir? Great. How are you? It's good to be back. Yes, it's nice to uh, be talking to you from Scotland. I've got a nice view of the park and the blue skies and the valley outside my window. You can imagine what that looks like. That sounds amazing. Scotland in the summer. What could be better, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I have to uh, confess that this episode, I uh, did the... We recorded for an hour and a half um, back in London and then I checked to see the recording and I totally missed Dylan's audio out. So he's very graciously agreed to come on the show to do the repeat show. <laughs> so it's my fourth time on, but third episode. <laughs> <laughs> but man, it's all good. It things happens, have, you know. Things have changed again since the last time we spoke but didn't record it. We 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 had talk talking before all of the um the outrage about George Floyd has started and the world changed again. Yeah, we were talking like right as that was happening and um it's interesting. Yeah, like so much has changed this year, right? But um like one thing we did nice that like everyone's trying to do their part, which is really cool. So like on our our dojo team for open source project we're matching $10,000 of contributions to various charities like the ACLU or criminal justice initiative or black lives matter. You just have to like send in your receipt and we're sending money and you know, we're like, what can we do? Right? Like what can we do as developers to make things better? And obviously there are a lot of things we can do, but we're like, we can also help in this way. And so we did. And it's just, um, it's interesting because like, these are problems we've known about for years and done what we can. But now it feels like the world has finally said enough is enough on this. Like let's, let's try to fix these problems for real. And that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, the other podcast influencers cafe, I talked, I talked to a friend of mine, Byron for three hours on this, basically America and the history it had with racism. So we can, uh, And we can go and listen to that if they want. But one thing that uh, made me feel proud about London is that we don't have this sort of perceived racism in in London when it comes to tech industry. I mean, I'm just taking Byron's word from it that he said there is some racism in tech, apparently, with like recruitment. But I've worked with several black people. And um, I actually mentor one of my mentees on a podcast. I mean, I I don't really see... I mean, I was pretty much raised to not see color, which sounds cool. But like the truth is, I've never really thought of things that way, Um, which is a good place to start, I think, is just people are people. And it makes it really easy to just really embrace people for who they are rather than like judging them or thinking they're a certain way because of something that's completely out of their control. Like we are who we are because we were born that way or because we lived somewhere or because we were in an environment. But fundamentally as people, we, we really want the same things. We want to be happy. We want to find meaning. We want to find love and joy and happiness. And we want to have had our time on this earth to have meant something. Right. And when you realize that people pretty universally around the world believe that, um, and if you can get everyone to focus on that stuff rather than the minor things that make us different, you can really have a big change. And I mean, it's hard for a lot of Americans because you grow up um, in school and you're told like, you're the best world in the nation and your history is perfect. <laughs> and they like, they like cover up all the stuff that our country did to get to where it is. And so you just grow up thinking, oh, well, I'm American. <laughs> I'm the best. Like, but why are we the best? Well, because you're you're American, and you're like, well, that's kind of circular logic. That's that's really interesting. Um, so I feel like the best thing that helps Americans get out of that is to travel and to meet people and to realize that it's it's not about them and it's not about being the best, or the freest, or whatever. It's actually just about recognizing that we are, as a world, like mostly the same. Yeah. And uh, honestly, like open source software really helped me appreciate that more. Um, But also it's one of the reasons I got into doing conferences was 
I wanted to embrace the community. And by community, I didn't mean people that are the same as me. I wanted to embrace everyone that was passionate about the web. And so that could be people who are at the beginning of their career, the end of their career, people who are experts, people who are writing code for the first time, people of any race, religion, whatever, it doesn't matter, right? Like what matters is we think this web platform is pretty amazing and we want to get together and be creative and have fun and find joy and just do so in a respectful way. And um, that's kind of what Halfstack has been about all these years. So Halfstack is this series of events started in London. Now, for a while, it was moving to a whole bunch of different cities. Right now, that's kind of on hold. So we've been doing it online and having fun with that. And again, it's really just this like, this philosophy that like, we're not perfect. We're just here to share and have fun and do our best and be respectful and um, just be amazing together. Mm-hmm. So I want to try and get across to the audience how difficult it was what you pulled off by yourself. Essentially, you were at an on-premises conference and you had to pivot to keep the, in a sense, the, the conferences alive and you used technology that you had just le- learned about to put together this <laughs> online conference. And it wasn't just as simple as let's fire up a stream, send a Zoom link, and that's done. You took three, in a sense, commercial packages and layered them on top of each other to have a whole conference yes. system that people can <laughs> interact with. And I've forgotten the names of those three things that you... Oh, yeah. I'll tell you. So, like, sorry. So... For years, people are like, hey, you should do maybe this online. And I'm like, well, what I really love about Halfstack is getting together in person, you know, meeting some new people, new cultures, good food, drinks, whatever, right? Just, just having fun. And then when COVID-19 hit, I'm like, wow, everyone's stuck at home. So maybe we could do this thing online. And people were asking for it. I'm like, obviously, we can't replicate the in-person experience, but maybe there's some things we can do that might be more fun or better. And so it morphed into this, let's have a 17-hour worldwide marathon event. A lot of online events were like, let's do two hours so everyone can attend. And I'm like, let's do 17 hours so people can just pop in and hang out and go back to work when they need to. And it works so you're, regardless of what time zone in, part of it overlaps locally. And let's try to personalize it. And so I'm like, well, how hard could it be? Let's do it in like six weeks, (laughs) which (laughs) I'd never done anything like it before i mean i had occasionally done like zoom calls or skype calls or you know like things like that but so um i one of my partners is tito they do the ticketing software and their business was cratering because no one's buying tickets for events so they they said hey we're working on this really early proof of concept for an online conference software and i'm like all right, can it be ready by May 22nd? They're like, maybe. I'm like, all right, let's do it. And so um, the Friday before the conference, I finally got access to the platform. I mean, I had seen some demos a few times, but I got access to the platform six days before the event was going to go live. Like, by the way, you need to use something like Ecamm Live or OBS or something to do streaming software, which I'd never done before. And um, you need to connect that. And oh, if you're going to do something live, you probably want to do a Skype call so you can capture the NDI feed from each person into Ecamm Live. So then you can stream that to Mux, which then connects to our platform. So it was like, wow, this is this is getting intense. This is good. But um, so by the end of the week, I mean, it was like 12 to 16 hours a day just at my computer working through all the details. I mean, I had this crazy spreadsheet in like 10 different time zones down to the minute of when everyone's talk was scheduled to start and stop and when the breaks were and everything. I had about a hundred pre-orchestrated scenes in Ecamm Live that was connected to my stream. And somehow it all went pretty perfectly. Only once in like hour 15 did I manage to kill the stream for a couple minutes and just have to like pause and, and restart it. And by that point, no one cared. Like if that had happened in moment zero, I would have had a rough day. Um, but again, it was like, just this determination and like, why did I do this? Right. It wasn't for the money. Like this is a, this conference series half stack is more of a hobby than a a profession for me. It's just a side project. Um, But like, I'm really passionate about the community and I wanted to see my friends 
I wanted to see my peers. And so I wanted to create an amazing experience for everyone. So we did a lot of fun things. Like we didn't just have like someone speak and then the next person speak and the next person speak and then silence. We had like outtake videos between sessions. I did some deep thoughts with Dylan Shimon based on like the deep thoughts with Jack Candy skits from Saturday Night Live or like one of them I'm like hanging upside down in a yoga swing with a thought computing device on my head, tracking how my brainwave activity varies in a browser, whether I'm right side up or upside down, just because I could. Why what's not, that, what's right? a yoga swing? Um, so I had a yoga swing. Um, so I do a lot of yoga. So I had an aerial yoga swing in my, um, I have a yoga room that we remodeled a while back. Yeah. And um, so I do some aerial yoga. So I was just like, I wonder how I could combine a few of my passions. So I'm really passionate about yoga and I'm really passionate about web technology and I'm really interested in thought computing. So I have this neurosity notion thought computing device and I put it on my head and I had my laptop hooked up and I'm recording a video and I'm recording the screen and I'm hanging upside down and I'm like doing a ridiculous talk because I can. You know? Is aerial so yoga just, harder than floor yoga? It's different. Um, some it what it does is it actually makes some things approachable, some inversions that are really hard to do, and certain um, things it helps you do that you can't do easily on the ground, mm-hmm. and then other things are much more challenging. So it's just kind of it's just different, is what I would say. There's like certain think there's certain stretches that I find that I can't that are if I get like two bars that are off the ground parallel, mm-hmm. if I hold them and I, I go vertical and then I fold my legs back over, it gives my back the best stretch. I can't yes. get on the floor. I don't know what that's called. Yes, I know what you mean. You get a lot of things like that with aerial yoga. Um, so it's pretty cool. Um, like one posture that's really hard to do on the ground is a bird of paradise. But there's a bird of paradise variation in aerial yoga where you're basically, your your head is like fully upside down and your legs are stretched like a V. And you're just fully inverted and the swing supports you completely. So you can do it. Whereas on the ground, you're trying to like, you have one foot flat and you're trying to bring the other leg up around your shoulders. So you can grab your foot way up here, like up to the side. And it's really hard. So it's it's like just that support of that swing and that inversion makes it approachable. So it's kind of cool. If, I, if, if I'm holding my hands and I'm, and I'm vertical, right? Sometimes I wonder what happens if I lost grip and fall on my head? Would I, would I break my neck there? Well, hopefully you have a nice pad underneath. In case how, about, how about concrete? <laughs> concrete. Yeah, I don't do yoga on concrete. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I've got these sort of weird working from home places that I'm going to because working in the same place, in the same building is basically, uh, it can drive you mad. So basically what I do is I work in different places and sometimes I've discovered now what I do is my my morning routine, I actually go to a big park, I'll go get Mm -hmm. some bird food and I'll sit there um, and just feed the birds while I'm working, and it's fantastic. Yeah. I just love it. It's great. It's really, really. It's like my office buddies are jackdaws. Yeah. See, we have the opposite climate of most places here in Phoenix, Arizona. So, like at the start of COVID, it was great. I'd work outside. I'd work. Um, I'd go to a park. And now it's like 41 Celsius outside, or <laughs> 106 outside. So yeah, the Mac doesn't work outside right now. Your phone starts to overheat. So right now I'm actually feeling more cooped up, even though things have opened up more. There's than, a business uh, opportunity, at, at something that blows cold air at you and the yeah, Mac. Yeah. Mac's more important yeah, than like, you are. You can sweat, but the MacBook probably, can't sweat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, I was trying to think like, could there be something involving the pool where you could make sure your Mac wouldn't fall in, but you could be like in the swimming pool Having like a standing desk in the pool or something, yeah. you know. Who you knows? could get but really, really badly sunburned because I, I, even in Scotland, I was out there today for about three hours, and my shoulder was sunburned in Scotland because I was so focused on my work that I didn't realize I was sitting in the sun for three hours. You know, almost. Well, I've always found the worst sunburns are in like Ireland and Scotland because you're not used to the sun, and then you you get your sunny day and everyone's out, and I think they can be out all day. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in Arizona, we kind of stay in the shade a lot because we know better. <laughs> <laughs> Arizona, that's that's where you're from. Most that that's uh, that's where I've lived for a while, but uh, yeah. definitely not where I'm from. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
so yeah, it's been an interesting few months. Um, definitely. I mean, we were hoping we were kind of restoring to normal and now we have the highest um, outbreak rate per capita in the world. So now that we've been open for a month. So um, people are starting to slowly wear masks. I've been wearing a mask the whole time, but people were pretty anti-mask here for whatever reason. And, um, you know, it's, it's different. Uh, what else is interesting here? Um, doing a lot of like online meetups or just online coffee and code where like you, you grab your coffee and you talk about code with some people and just kind of hang out a bit. And that's kind of fun. Um, I'm finding the phone conversation time is a lot longer than normal. Like, oh my gosh, you're a person. Let's talk for three hours instead <laughs> of I've only got 15 minutes because I got 50 other things going on. So it's definitely a bit of a slower pace around certain things. I'm um, also working on a startup. So that's been keeping me busy. And um, yeah, just, but again, like the, the conference thing is really, the whole reason I got into it was community. Like I felt like, one of the things I was appreciating, so I'm, I'm 45 now, which isn't that old, but it's, I started doing this when it's I was like old. in my early twenties, you know? Yeah. Give me a few years, right? I'll be there. I know. Catch yeah. up, mate. Well, no, cause I keep getting older too. But, <laughs> <laughs> but the age definitely gets smaller and smaller as the older you get. Yeah. Like- yeah. Something like that. Right. And, um, but like the main reason I really got in, into doing meetups was I was like really liking the community. And then I'm like, well, maybe we can have a whole day conference in a pub and that'll be kind of like a super meetup. And then it kind of evolved into this, like too many conferences take themselves seriously. So let's just have fun. Let's just, and what's really cool about half stack is almost everyone is showing off their side project. Like a conference that itself is my side project is showing off a bunch of people's creative side projects, whether it's like their um, dance, dance revolution mat they made with a, you know, Arduino device or a dance trainer or TikTok app or Ken Wheeler of React fame for Half Stack Online made a beatbox app, you know, using React and stuff. And like you could make music with it. And we had people perform music that were JavaScript or tech people. Like there was a really nice algorithmic music musician um, and she made this amazing performance that blew everyone away and then Dylan Beatty did his he's like the weird owl of JavaScript and he did like a live acoustic set of you know his like latest uh, songs that make fun of us as developers and stuff and so just kind of really getting to see all those people and what was cool also was um, because no one was on stage none of the speakers were really nervous everyone was really relaxed and usually Speakers start out kind of nervous, they're talking a little fast, and then they slow down and they get into the rhythm and it's fine. But people were so chill and calm and, and just had fun. And so it was really, it was really lovely. Mm-hmm. And we're doing it again. So we're going to do it quarterly online because we can and we should. I, I, think, I think I'm almost more nervous being on stage than I am. No, no. I'm more nervous doing an online thing than I am on stage because doing the podcast and stuff like that, you just know that so many things can go wrong, right? But if you're going on stage, then you're, you're not going to like disappear off the stage or anything. You know, those, the building's not going to collapse or you're not going to not record the other person. Well, I mean, yeah, that's true. But for a lot of people, it's it's basically you get up in front of everyone and all these eyes are on you and your adrenaline goes up a little bit and you get a little nervous and if something goes slightly wrong, you get more nervous. And so um, like the job of a good MC at a conference is to distract the audience from the speaker while they get comfortable up on stage. So why does an MC introduce the speaker? It's not because they can do it better than the speaker can introduce themselves. It's to give them two minutes to calm down and get comfortable and make sure their laptop's projecting correctly and all those little things, right? And so uh, what was interesting is for the online event, I'm like, well, I don't need to introduce each speaker because I don't need to calm them down. So instead, we had like a nice little animated video for like 10 seconds introducing each speaker that kind of remind everyone, hey, this talk's about to start. And then the session happened. And then instead of the traditional like Q&A interview you would have at a conference where 
someone raises their hand and then you ask, answer the question, which is, which is cool. But, you know, we have like a 30 second delay with streaming. So the questions would lag behind the, the, the speaker. Right. So instead of what we did is sort of a, a podcast style or hallway track style session. So we had the speaker and then one to three interviewers just talking about whatever. And the idea was kind of like, Oh, I'm in the hallway and there's the speaker and there's a few people talking to the speaker. What are they saying? And you could just kind of listen into that. And so some of it pulled in some questions people had asked, but a lot of it was just like having a chat with your friends and kind of putting that on stage. Mm -hmm. And what was cool is that's something we've never tried in person, but worked really well online. So maybe we'll even change our in-person events to do something like that in the future as well. And when the speaker's uh, speaking, how can they interact with the audience while they're speaking? Well, so what's interesting is most of the sessions were pre-recorded. Right. So as the session was going, people were asking the speaker questions and they could answer the questions with chat. But then if there was a really interesting question, the M's that wasn't answered or whatever that we wanted to expand upon, the interviewers could pull that into the discussion. So it kind of became like a, a short 10-minute live mini podcast with each um, with each speaker, which was really nice. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it worked well. I think that, would be, that, that almost makes it sense how it would be possible to pull that something like that off. If everybody was live, then everyone would have to have the same streaming software set up and that would be a logistical nightmare. But maybe that's something that could be possible in the future. Yeah, well, what's well, interesting is we actually used Skype for that because with Skype, you, it has an NDI mode so you can track each person's each person's video feed separately and their shared screen separately if they want to share their screen. So we were able to like pull all four of us up and lay it out and, and stream that. We did one live session and everything else was pre-recorded because the thought process was if someone's connection goes down, we don't want the whole conference to stop, right? Yeah. Um, and like two of the live interviews, the person being interviewed, their, their internet connection went down just for a few seconds, which killed their camera feed and they had to rejoin. So we just kept talking without them and it worked out fine. Um, but yeah, I was lucky that my network connection was stable for the entire 17 hours without a, even a blip. Is that 17 hours with yeah. like some coffee breaks in between for lunch? And So I my longest break was about 15 minutes because I was constantly preparing for the next thing. So luckily my wife just kept bringing food and bringing coffee. And, you know, mostly my break was right after someone's session started and it was going well. I would like sneak away for a few minutes if I needed a break. But by halfway through their session, I was getting that speaker on Skype to then interview them for, you know, because you want to like get them comfortable and make sure everyone's there and set up. So we'd be talking for like 10 or 15 minutes before their interview, basically. Um, so it's was, it was definitely a busy day. So <laughs> in a sense, it could have been a lot easier just to put everything on Twitch and then everyone jumps to Twitch, but you, in a sense, made a custom... You pulled together different solutions and put it into a, a conference and everything's a lot more streamlined and people can interact and they have, like... It's something that Twitch, in a yeah. sense, couldn't really do but out of the box, like, have a proper conference for that. Well, it was kind of a mix of, like, a live TV channel, right? So I felt like a TV producer for the day. But also... The web app we used had a section that was built in chat and a section built in to like highlight our sponsors and a section to highlight um, the links that were shared during the talk. So we wanted a like basically a centralized hub for our conference. And Twitch is cool, but it wasn't quite the same because we were mixing pre-recorded content with live content throughout the day, which was a bit more. And then like you know we had little videos and introductions and outtakes and music performances, kind of all these different things. So it was nice to be able to feed it all into a single stream. Um, the other thing that was pretty nice is we did have a, a high def or like at least 1080p uh, stream, which was pretty nice. So people were like airplane it onto their TVs and watching it on the TV while working in front of their TV and stuff like that. So it was um, like a lot of people said they really felt like we brought the conference to their home and for me to get in that mood, I brought the conference to me. So um, you're seeing this because you're talking to me, but like 
behind me, I've got an, a big eight foot by eight foot banner that says half stack online that I put behind me. And then I actually did some home upgrades and installed some Wi-Fi multicolor LED lights. And I had them in the party mode all day. So they're just kind of animating all around for 17 hours. So I sort of brought some of the conference vibe home. And then I also took advantage of some of the things we did that we could do at home. So for example, in the introduction vi introductory video, I started talking about the code of conduct, which is a very serious topic. But I also felt like there are some things you need to do differently for a code of conduct at home. Um, so I had a little bit of fun with that and then a little bit of seriousness with that. So the fun thing was like, hey, I was talking about how some of the talks were going off the deep end and my son threw me in the pool. And just because, why not? Because I'm in Arizona, we have a swimming pool. And so then cut and then the next take he's in a dog crate locked up and I'm kind of there smiling. Right. And then I'm like, and then I put like the big not symbol through those. I'm like, you're not allowed to do this at home. You know, like just, so again, it was kind of fun and it kind of caught people's attention and they remembered it. And they're like, yeah, like you, you, there are things that don't matter for the code of conduct at home, but you still have to take it seriously, but you can also have a little bit of fun and, and enjoy your day. Mm -hmm. So when's the next half stack online? It's going to be the 21st of August. So, so soon, the CFP, Yeah, every three months is the idea. So the CFP is open. And um, I thought three months was going to be a long time, but I think I've kind of squandered the first month. So now it's like two months to prepare for it. But it'll all come together. <laughs> it's like moving house every three months, I guess. I guess they'll be yeah. more streamlined the process now, though, because you've done it once. I, I know the software and I'll hopefully get some people's sessions a bit earlier and it'll all come together nicely though. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to have a startup that I could talk about at that point, but I've got a lot of work to do and I'm, I'm very, very busy when you're, when you're busy working for clients, you don't have time for startups and side projects. Just how I thought I found when I've, when I've not been out of work, that's when I've learned a lot of new things, well, but yeah, so one cool thing about online is you don't have to do a 30-minute talk. You could do like a two-minute, just something simple and silly. Or you could do a JavaScript poem. Or you could do comedy. Or you could record a song. Or you could do, like, you don't have to do, you're, you're not limited to, like, the constraints of a traditional conference where, you know, traditionally at conferences, the sessions are all roughly the same amount of time. And they're substantial because, well, you've traveled to get there, right? Or... The conference has paid you to travel. So you don't want to like spend a, all that time and money to get someone there to speak for two minutes. But for an online event, that can actually work really well. They've just got like one little thing they want to share and they do it and it's fun. And so um, I guess what I would tell people is like, if you're feeling like you don't have time to do a full session, but you've got something creative or fun that you want to share, that's just a little nugget. We're more than excited to welcome those things to have sec. I'm not thinking about the time, like 30 minutes, five minutes. For me, it's the same, really. It's just like to come to be on a conference, you have to have something to show. And that to show can take you months, if not years, to develop. And it has well, to be good enough. And I, I would argue that, like, actually, it doesn't have to be perfect. And that's kind of the point of Half Stack. Like, if you've got something interesting to share, find a way to share it. So, like, I was like, oh, I'm going to create this really amazing thought computing application. And I'm like, yeah, I'm also running a conference. So you know what? I'm going to record a video of me in a yoga swing upside down showing the results of an app that I of the, the default demo because I didn't have time to create this amazing application. And people still enjoyed it and they got something out of it. So it was fun. So Halfstack really is is more about like, just doing what you can and having fun and sharing your creative ideas rather than it being like you've done something so perfect and so amazing that the world needs to stop. It's more about like, hey, look at this cool thing or have you considered this or try this out? So I don't think you should feel like there's such a high barrier to entry as long as it's focused on something creative related to the web. That's what I like about Hashtag is that I can go to a talk that I've never seen about and actually follow what is going on. And I've been to conferences where you'll have like indestructors come in and all they'll do is show you a bunch of slides and it'll be just way over my head this stuff and yeah we really emphasize the potential of the web 
and the cool creative things you can do over the sort of here's a step-by-step -step tutorial on how to do it and every detail you would ever need to know. And the thought process is the latter you can read or you can watch a video later. Um, but the, the creative inspiration is something that we can all talk about and it's digestible and it's high level enough. Like, yeah, show some code if you want to or if, if it's relevant, but don't feel like you need to impress us with the code. Actually, what's more important is what you created, what you did with it. Like, yes, we all want to be perfect engineers and write flawless code, but this conference is about the result of your effort or the idea of something that's fun or something cool rather than, yeah, you need to use Reactive or Dojo or Angular or Ember or um, Vue or whatever because of this. No, like that's not what this conference is about. This conference is about hey, look at this cool thing I created. And then you can go back and you can say, I can use whatever reasonable technology I want, whatever framework I like, whatever, to try to create my own thing that was inspired by that. But now I'm going to create my own little thing. One of the most um, enjoyable days I've had in a long time. Last year, I went to JSConf in um, near San Diego, California. And they had a, they have these, the way that conference works is you have a full day of sessions, a day of activities, and then a full day of sessions. And that day of activities, some of them are like surfing or golfing. But I took one called Node Art, which was basically we built an IoT device. Like um, basically, we built uh, a beatbox with joystick buttons, like just like eight buttons, and there was an Arduino inside. And we soldered it all together. And then we were given some like some simple APIs to do quick data visualization. So. I knew I was doing a talk later that month at Halfstack um, about called, basically it was called Yoda Web Spock and it was it was a spoof talk. So there's a lot of conference talks about how to choose a framework that are very poorly done and biased in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And I, I've done framework talks where I try not to be biased. I try and look at everything. But for this, it was how good do sci-fi movies predating the web predict web technologies? That was the talk. So it was very non-serious. But I made this little box, and then I used that to randomly play Star Wars and Star Trek fan music. And then I had, like, dials to speed it up and slow it down and change the volume and stuff. But I had this day where usually when I create something with hardware – usually fire happens. Like usually it just burns up, <laughs> but it actually just worked. And so the thing I created worked and the music played and the data visualizations were fun. And so I'm like, well, this is cool. This was really like just a nice day of things working, which is rare for me sometimes. And so then I got to use this box at all my half stack conferences throughout the year for fun. And so, um, but like, I didn't invent anything new with this box. Like it was a kit. But I mean, I, I still had to solder and figure it all out and it had to work. But what was the what I did that was creative is I tied it to the conference talk I was going to be giving. So I picked like songs that were similar to Star Wars and Star Trek songs you'd heard, but weren't familiar because they were like fan songs on SoundCloud or something like that. And then I was just like doing funny things with them. And again, it was like, but I was doing it through a browser with web technologies, using JavaScript and just doing something ridiculous and fun. Awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. So you recently um, speaking at OpenJS World? Yes, that is on the, what's today? The, it's the 22nd or 23rd? Let's see. 23rd and 24th of, um, of June. Um, so the OpenJS World is the conference for the OpenJS Foundation. The OpenJS Foundation is a nonprofit foundation that supports a number of projects. Oh, Node.js yeah. is probably the biggest one, but Dojo is actually the first foundation project dating back to 2005. And so I've been involved with first the Dojo Foundation, which then merged with the jQuery Foundation, which then became the JS Foundation, which then merged with the Node Foundation to become the OpenJS Foundation. Um, so this is their annual conference. And usually it's a pretty expensive event to attend um, just because it's usually... You know, you have to go for a week and you have to fly somewhere and you have to get tickets. And it's a pretty big conference, like a thousand, I think about a thousand people. I don't know. I could be wrong with that. Um, but this year, because of COVID, it's online and it's free um, to attend. And so I'm going to give a talk 
uh, sort of the community story behind rewriting Dojo. So I'll be talking about some of Dojo's features, but mostly it's that why did we rewrite and what did we do and what were the decisions made along the way? And then some of my colleagues are going to do a workshop on how to use Dojo. And then there's just a few other things. But again, it's just, it's nice to be able to do these online events and um, do other fun things like that that we couldn't do normally because we couldn't get everyone together. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to hear about framework bias because if we look at framework bias objectively, we can understand it because if you are an expert in a certain framework, it's in your interest that that framework is propagated amongst all potential clients because that means that you are more more in demand. So you're always, if if your career money depends on that particular framework being popular, then of course you're going to be biased towards it. And especially you spent hours, hundreds of hours, even thousands of hours working with it. So it's very hard to people... It's very hard for people to move to a framework just because of the quality of the framework. It's probably mostly marketing, unfortunately. What what do you think of those points? Oh, that's a loaded question, obviously. Um, (laughs) there's There's a lot of interesting points there, right? So one is, I actually think that's why there's framework churn as well. Because at some point, everyone knows a framework. And so now you're looking at how to differentiate yourself. So you want a new framework to become popular so you can become the expert at that before anyone else <laughs> Exactly. Does. So that's the counter argument to that. That's why it doesn't last perhaps. But um, all right. So frameworks are something we potentially spend more time with on a day than anything else because similar to our ID of choice and our computer as a whole. And so a lot of people have really strong opinions, much like they do about their favorite sports team or their religion or other other things they're big fans of. <laughs> and that? Um, that is my dog. One second. Must <laughs> <laughs> end in the podcast. Oh, boy. Can you still hear it? Hopefully not. <laughs> okay, sounds like a, a fox. Like we have them, these foxes that make these incredible noises she's, sometimes. She's the littlest dog, like two or three kilograms. Yeah. And she makes the loudest bark known to man. So, um, All right. So basically uh, with frameworks, right, you have the, the challenge of trying to like accept that you've spent a lot of time with this. You are vested in it it becomes your sports franchise or your religion or your identity. And most framework authors view frameworks as a means to an end. I want to create a better way to build software. I want to encapsulate my best practices. I didn't start writing Dojo because I wanted people to become Dojo people. I started Dojo because I wanted a way to build web applications at a time when that wasn't possible. Today, I worked on Dojo because I felt like frameworks were making it really hard to be productive. Um, Like starting to require what I describe as a PhD in JavaScript to be able to get stuff done. And so I wanted a framework that tied things together in an efficient manner so that I could build apps again. Because I felt like it was becoming too difficult to achieve good results. And so... um, yeah, like people just like political races or religion or favorite sports teams, it's really difficult for people to change their minds about something. And that's often the case of frameworks as well, even if they're better, even if they're more, they're different. So when you create a new framework, you really have to think how I need to be like an order of magnitude better than what's out there in some way, or no one's going to pay attention. So like our emphasis on Dojo was how can we provide all the benefits you might get from building your own React framework or um, you know, building your own modern framework. But how can we simplify that for most people? So how can we focus on like, hey, you don't have to make all these decisions. We can put them together for you in a nice coherent way and we can create something that works really nicely together. And that's what we focused on. And the thing that is absolutely outside your control as a framework author is will people use this on a big scale? 
because you can't control like adoption. You can do lots of things to maybe support it. You can share information with people. You can encourage people. You can give nice replies on, on questions on GitHub. You can, you know, use it for projects. You can be persuasive, but you really have very little control over whether something will get adopted. And some of the frameworks that were hyped the most when they first came out did, never took off. And some that had like the worst marketing ever became really big. And, you know, you th sometimes you think, well, this person created this, this next thing they do will be even more popular. And that's often not the case. So it's really not a, um, not a predictable thing. So for me, when I talk about frameworks, I really just try to talk about them on their merit and what they do and what they struggle with. And I feel like if you, if you actively use a framework and you can't tell me what its limits are or you can't tell me what's broken about it or what you don't like about it, then you haven't really used the framework enough to have an opinion of it. So a lot of times I would see companies or teams making decisions to adopt a framework without knowing anything that was wrong with it. And I felt like they would just jump right in and be like, and it was more like a CV pattern or a resume pattern, um, you know, where basically you're trying to add the new framework to your list so you can get the next job you want, rather than really thinking about what's best for the problems you're trying to solve or what the strengths of your team are or how you like to write code or what patterns you prefer the most. You know, like the whole point of a framework is to encapsulate your best practices and architecture and and behavior, not to like, just because it's the coolest or the best or the most popular. It's what's right for your team. Yeah. Yeah. My mind's went blank there. I was going to ask something. I forgot what I was going to say. It's all good. I tend to do that to people with framework discussion. is <laughs> <laughs> Brings back so many bad memories about changing frameworks and and just like reroute learning things to do the same things. But yeah, yeah, it can be hard. Um, but I mean, it was funny because like on our last podcast, you were like trying Dojo out in real time, which was really awesome to like see the expression on your face as you were like figuring out how Dojo did something and how it was doing that and. Since that discussion, uh, version seven of Dojo has come out, which cleans up a lot of things in a pretty nice way. Um, we now have a material theme-based version of Dojo as uh, widgets, and um, we've done some more advances on our functional-based widgets, and we've got just a, a lot of uh, refinements and cleaning things up that I think you would enjoy. Wow, I really, I really like to that. From what I heard about Dojo six, yes. I've just typed. So version seven is like even better, basically. So yeah, I typed in Dojo seven, and the first thing I saw in my Google was <laughs> Dojo wide leg jeans, jeans high waisted denim. Yes. Yeah, so what we didn't realize <laughs> is that seven of all mankind, the jeans brand, has a very popular version of their jeans called Dojo. <laughs> so Dojo three, four, five, six all show up the right result, and Dojo seven is <laughs> blue jeans everywhere. So we may have Dojo 8 come out really fast. We're not sure. But like it was a complete surprise to us. <laughs> I'm trying to find the homepage for Dojo. Dojo Toolkit, isn't it? No, no dojo.io is where you want to go. So Dojo.io. Yeah. yeah, if you go to dojotoolkit.org, that gives you like the old Dojo 1, which is still maintained, but that's a few years old now. Cool. And the, okay, okay. NPM install at dojo forward slash CGI, CLI, create app name Hollow World. Similar to what we saw last, I think. Uh, like the out of the box experience is the same, but if right. you go to the um, if you go to the release blog, there's a release blog about the widgets and a release blog about Dojo itself. And then there's a nice migration guide if you need to upgrade. And there was a bit more change in this release than the past releases, but it was all pretty necessary to just clean things up. Made a lot of improvements too. So early on in our widget system stuff, we really tried to align our properties and attributes and stuff with the HTML spec. But the problem with the HTML spec is like every type of form field is slightly different. Like there's no, there's a lot of inconsistencies in like focus and clicks and selected and things like that. So for version seven, we said, let's come up with a streamlined API that that abstracts away 
those inconsistencies because it's tedious and it's error prone for people. And um, we uh, revamped the theming system a bit. It's now easier to do different variants of themes so you can combine themes or nest themes or take a dark theme or a light theme or things like that. And um, there's the concept of a resource aware widget, which is basically you you have a you know a, a store or data implementation, and now it's easier to share that across components efficiently. Um, it was you could do it before, but it was just a bit more tedious, and so now it's more straightforward. So there's a lot of nice little improvements like that beyond the stuff we had before. Is there any web components support? Yeah, Dojo's supported web components since version two. Um, version seven has the idea is you can either take your Dojo based component component or app and export as a web component, or you can import web components into your Dojo app. The thing we added for version seven is we now support the slots property of custom elements, which we didn't before, which makes it easier to sort of configure nesting of components or placement of things inside of a child component, that sort of thing. I like the font you've used on your website, typed widget children. I really like that font. Yeah. What font is that? Yeah. I don't know off the top of my head, but I'm just, <laughs> I can I'm, look. I'm, I'm looking at Web Inspector right now because yes, I, yes. Plagiarism so what is font it? Font styles here. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. I'm just go down to the bottom. It's Apple System blank Mac System font. Wow, oh, that's funny. That's crazy, man. <laughs> yeah, it's the same font as is used in the Finder, I think. That's an E. Yeah, it's using the Mac font. There you go. It's legit, mate. Yeah. Can, give like your Mac OS built in. <laughs> give them a pat on the back on my behalf to your developer team there. I will. Yeah, that's cool. You know, I was reading something recently on, um, where was it? There are a whole bunch of extra fonts with the latest Mac OS that aren't installed by default. But if you go into Fontbook and like go to all, there's all these beautiful fonts you can get that are they just didn't install because they're large in size, but um, that are available that people are just learning are there. It's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like dozens of fonts that I didn't know existed on Mac OS. Mm. So you're, you're um, what's the name of your company again? Um, the one, the startup I'm working on the, or my past company? The, the, the consulting company. Yeah, so that was SitePen. SitePen. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. do you mostly use Dojo for your clients? So SitePen uses a mixture of Dojo and um, sometimes they have clients that you know request a specific framework or where Dojo isn't the right fit for what they're doing. So yeah. SitePen is very much figure out what's needed rather than, you know, prescribing a solution without thinking through the problems. So yeah. they have some projects that use React or Next.js, some that use Angular, there's some React Native, there's Dojo, probably some Vue in there somewhere. Um, you know, in the past, they've done things with Ember and jQuery and other things. So it really is a company that while they create Dojo, they don't demand all clients use Dojo. Mm. So they're very focused on meeting people where they are and helping them be successful. Can you share anything about your startup that you're working on? We're just trying to solve some of the problems we find in building products or building software um, around sort of how we communicate about what we're building and why we're building it. And we find that a lot of information about that gets lost in various ways. And we're just trying to come up with a way to make it so that you you have a place where you keep all that information organized and you're incentivized to keep using it. And a lot of systems feel heavy or information gets buried in tickets and lost forever and doesn't sort of end up back in your documentation about what you built and why. So um, that's kind of the problem space we're going after. And there are a number of products out there that try to solve this, but we feel like suddenly with um, everyone at home and working remotely, everyone's realizing that the tools we have aren't perfect. And so we're trying to come up with something a bit better for how we think teams actually should collaborate. Nice one. Yeah. Is that your first startup that um, SitePen has made? So this is completely separate from SitePen. Right. Um, 
it's a startup that I started working on in January um, with some people. And um, it's the first like actual startup I've tried doing since I started SiteFin 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like something I founded and wanted to work on. And um, it's a pretty cool idea. Actually, so what happened is in January, I took a step back from SitePen and because I'd been consulting for 20 years and felt like I needed a break from that. Um, and there were some personal reasons for that. Like my last year, my mom, who's had cancer before, um, she retired from American Airlines and immediately came down with cancer. And it kind of like led me to sort of do a lot of soul searching and thinking, do I want to keep doing this another 20 years, right? Or do I want to maybe do something else? And I realized I I felt like if I didn't step back from site pen now, I wouldn't do anything else. So I, you know, basically uh, stepped back from being the active CEO at site pen and I am just an advisor for site pen now. And instead now I'm, so I spent a few months and kind of noodled on ideas and advised a few startups and this particular startup kind of pretty quickly became the one I was spending the most time on just because it was like, it needed me the most and I felt like I had the most to offer this particular idea. And so um, actually in the early stages of trying to raise capital and grow the vision and work on the marketing and work on the product vision and work on features and kind of just do all that stuff. We've got a good team and um, hoping that'll all work out well. So yeah, it's pretty fun. It's interestingly a really good time to start up this product because it's more apparent that it's needed. Um, and there's just, you know, like every, there's never a good or a bad time to start something. There's just times that are better opportunities than others, but mm-hmm. there's never like some of the best companies were started at exactly the wrong time. And some of the worst companies were started at the perfect time, you know? So it's just kind of a, what you make of it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I've got, uh, I've got, uh domain called uh, mentorscv.com and uh, something that I've wanted to build for several years now. But the trouble is that mm-hmm. I'm a full-time software developer and by the time you come home at night, you just like don't have much more energy to, to make this stuff. So it's like a vicious circle. Like You're used to with consulting kind of money. And like you said, you, you can get at that point, you're just like, I don't stop consulting. I'm never going to get anything done. And when you're consulting, you're just you're not learning that much really you're you're just building things um. yeah it really takes um a lot of focus and a lot of desire and the right time for you and um like when i started sitepen i was a phd student at ucla studying chemistry and i was wanting to learn more and more about the web and at one point, I was tired of the smell of chloroform and dropped out of the PhD program to start SitePen. That was a little bit easier because I, I was able, I didn't make much money yet. I was just a student, right? So I was able to do it. But here, yeah, pretty much I basically said, all right, I'm going to take some time and do a startup and figure this out. But I, I mean, I know plenty of people who do startups more like you're describing, which is somehow they find a way to get it done part of the time. And, you know, sometimes it's like a contract with yourself, right? Like you say, I'm going to spend an hour a day on this and I'm going to get done what I can. And you really just got to focus on what you do and you got to set yourself up so that when you have that hour, you make the most of it. And then before you know it, you'll have something cool. Um, But yeah, it's like requires pretty extreme discipline to be able to do that because most of us, we can only work so many hours a day and then we're pretty tired. Yeah. Or, you know, what's interesting I've seen other people do is, you know, you've talked about how you try it at the end of your day. You know, maybe you flip your schedule and you get, I get up at like four in the morning most days um, just because I'm, I prefer to start my day when no one else needs anything. Like no one, my kids aren't shouting, they're asleep. You know, I wake up and it's quiet. So some of my best hours are from like four to 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. in the day because no one needs anything yet. So, but that's also really hard because most of us like to stay up late and do things. But it's a really, it kind of takes your solitude time and begins your day with it instead of ending your day with it. So you can actually maybe get more done that way if you wanted to. Yeah, I would, um, I'm, I'm reasonably realizing that myself. I'm more fresh in, in the morning, but I need, 
I need to get my full sleep and I'm worried that if I start burning the candle at Boris Diamond and taking more hours in the morning, then my health will suffer. You know, I don't want to get sick and damage my immune system in this virus-ridden landscape right now. But I do need yeah. more time because I, I, I really enjoy everything I do. I, I enjoy, um, you know, my clients. I enjoy these two podcasts that I'm not, I just don't have enough time to do as much as I'd like. I'd like to do more episodes. I mean, this is the first one in a month. Well, partly yeah. because I, well, I made them. You did move, right? Yeah. So there is and that. I did, and yeah. I did blow, blow our last one at the water. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, there's just the lost episodes, like the lost Doctor Who episodes. Yeah. It's like the one episode of your podcast that's gone forever. So, yeah. <laughs> um, you know what I would, the best advice I can give you that's like, yeah, you still need to sleep and you still need to get fitness in or whatever your workout mechanism is. Um, but a lot of it is really just removing things from your life or schedule that don't matter as much. So, you know, maybe you used to do something that you're really not enjoying, but you just do it. So you decide, yeah, I'm going to cut that and instead I'm going to do this. Um, or maybe you watch less TV. I don't know. Whatever. I, I honestly, whatever. I don't wa- I've not watched TV in yeah in two weeks i didn't mean you i didn't mean you specifically (laughs) i just meant like you know but like sometimes it's just a matter of like what can i cut or what doesn't matter or what can i offload or what can i decide is not as important and find a way you know yeah i think the last hour to two hours a day are, are just totally inefficient for me like you can probably tell that i'm starting to slow down now <laughs> my mind goes blank when talking because i've i've had quite a busy day i had a full day of work and i, I was talking to a friend went right driving to his house and then came back but yeah i'm gonna yeah that- for me yeah i tend to go to bed pretty early well most nights i'm in bed by 10 which is pretty early i think well done. um but i have kids so like you know i read my son harry potter every night until he falls asleep and then that pretty much makes me tired too, so I kind of just crash. Right? <laughs> is this the actual real Harry Potter book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I know there's a lot of controversy about J.K. Rowling at the moment, but um, the stories are, are pretty good, you know, and he's really into it. So I don't want to, you know, burst that bubble for him at this time. So Seems like quite a complicated like, book for a young kid to follow we're, along. Yeah, we're in, we're in book five, and he knows all the details. He's... What, he's pretty, what age is he? He's six. No way. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's pretty... Um, so, like, I don't want to be that parent that brags about their kids, but, like, online school, you know, like, he's in kindergarten, right? And, like, two weeks in, he's, like, typing into the message chat with all the kids, not realizing that no one else can type, you know, or that half the kids can't read what he's typing. What? So he's, like, texting with his friends... On like my phone, he's texting his friends, and his friends are sending voice messages back. And he's like, "Why aren't they typing?" They're like <laughs> they don't know how to type yet. And he's like, "Oh, like he just he learned to type because he wanted to be able to communicate, he's not realizing he that type. he was the only yeah. one in his class." Oh yeah, he can probably type better than I could at age fifteen at age six. So. That's insane, um, man. So I- one really cool benefit of online school is you know kids can learn to type, I guess, but. Um, and, and no but bullying. He, he reads really. He reads really well. So hard to get bullied online, much, right? Yeah, but like any word he doesn't know, he's like, "What was that word? What is like veer mean?" You know, and like no, no, like I get what the context, but like, what does the word mean? And I'm like, "Wow, cool that you picked up that word that you didn't know, and now you know it." How do you You're foster that in a child that is sort of a passion for learning versus playing with transformers and gaming all I the mean, time? a lot of those things are opportunities to learn as well. Right. So like he has lots of Legos he plays with and, but it's interesting, like Legos are something he plays with right before bed. So like, you know, he's brushed his teeth and he's in his pajamas or whatever. And then he plays Legos for like 15 minutes as I start to read until he gets tired and then he pops into bed. Yeah. Or he, he like, he's been watching shows on interviews of NASA astronauts for the past week. And he knows like, every single thing and how to do it in space now because he wants to know like everything so he's listening to like all of them so he can just assimilate information about it so i guess the best advice i can give you is like figure out what your kids are interested in and foster it rather than getting in the way so like he's watching youtube way too much right now but don't right now he's only allowed to watch you he's only allowed to watch youtube right now about astronauts 
Right. So you can't like go and watch the kids shows and all the, the random stuff. So, but like, we're not perfect parents and he's not a perfect kid. We just do what we can to help him and do our best. I think that was such a thing as perfect parent, to be honest. But a lot of people think they should be, or they think they can be. And I just don't think that's possible. So you can't, I don't worry you can't, about it. you can't force someone's will. Yeah. You know? And like every kid is different. You can't force them to be the same. You just figure out where they are and try to help them where they want to go or where they need to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, buddy. Well, um, it's been a very good episode, mate. And uh, thanks, for, thanks for doing this the second time. I know you're a very busy guy and I'm very privileged to have. <laughs> well, I'm sure this one was better than the last one, so it's good. <laughs> Yeah. I don't even know. I'm just being funny. <laughs> well, thanks for making cool. the time for me as well. And talk to you soon. Yeah, appreciate it, Dillian. All right, Dylan, thanks for your time. Cheers. And thank you, everybody, for joining us. And uh, have a good time. And uh, see you again shortly on Lermithus.